Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. From 2017 to 2021, there are many people, including this show, who believe that President Trump was the strongest ally Israel ever had. Unlike his predecessors, he didn't play games with the Palestinians or accept their narrative that they are the victims of Israel's so-called aggression. The question must be asked, if after decades of Palestinian violence, terrorism, and blood libeling propaganda against the Jewish state, how is it that Donald Trump was the only leader to understand that you can't placate terrorists? What is even more perplexing is if so many of us know the truth about the nature of the Palestinian leadership, their culture and their murderous agenda, how come nobody else does? Today, we are very lucky to have with us Itamar Marcus, the founder of Palestinian Media Watch, an organization based out of Israel who monitors and translates everything coming out of the Palestinian-controlled territories. It can be said that Palestinian Media Watch is probably the most important organization today exposing Palestinian propaganda and blood libeling against Israel. In a moment, Bela will give him a proper introduction, but amongst the many issues we will discuss today is the Palestinian education curriculum for the world to see how innocent Palestinian children are poisoned by their leaders to hate and to want to kill Jews. Our guest will tell us about his success stories in getting some European leaders to suspend financial support for the PA, and will also tell us what lessons the incoming Biden administration should learn before embracing the PA leadership and renewing U.S. ties with them. Bela, I know you had a few comments before you introduce Itamar. I, yes, thank you, Alan. At the definitive wrap, we congratulate Joe Biden on his inauguration as the 46th president. It is certainly the hope that he will work at strengthening the U.S.-Israeli alliance. It is to everyone's benefit that peace between Israel and the Arab world is maintained and expanded. Of great surprise yesterday was when the Biden administration changed the U.S. ambassador to Israel's Twitter account to read the official Twitter account of the U.S. ambassador to Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. Although it was changed back, claiming an inadvertent edit, to social media followers, it was a pushback message on Trump's pro-Israel policies. Additionally, the United States has for a very long time not taken a policy position on the West Bank and Gaza territories. And uh, from interviewing people yesterday, the concern was that the message to the world is that the Biden administration is saying that neither Gaza or the West Bank is part of Israel. In fact, uh, Republican Michael McCall, lead Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, stated that he was troubled by this controversial move on day one and also without consulting Congress. 
Moreover, the title change contradicts Biden's Secretary of State nominee, Anthony Blinken, who stated during his confirmation hearing that he would not seek to relocate the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem and would continue the tight security between the United States and Israel. With us today is Itamar Marcus, founder and director of Palestinian Media Watch, who is one of the foremost authorities on Palestinian ideology and policy. Itamar makes regular presentations to legislators, governments, and other decision makers exposing PA hate and terror promotion in education, sports, culture, and other frameworks the PA controls. Mr. Marcus has received awards from ZOA, Israel Media Watch, and Emmet, and was recognized as being among the world's top 100 people positively influencing Jewish life of, or the, of the state of Israel by the Algemeiner Journal, uh, the Algemeiner newspaper, excuse me. Uh, Itamar, thank you for agreeing to be our honored guest. The, the question in layman's terms is, do you think that the work that Trump has done on behalf of strengthening ties between Israel and the Arab world and being the strong ally to Israel that he has been, do you think that it will actually be undone even though Jewish Biden supporters say otherwise, and President Joe Biden said that he intends to return to the policy of appointing a consul to the Palestinians separate from the ambassador to Israel. In your opinion, Itamar, realistically, what are we looking at? So uh, thank you uh, for inviting me to your show, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, There are a number of different components to to Trump's work with Israel, and he's impacted in so many different ways. Uh, some of those things will not be undone by the Biden administration. Some of those things we have still to see. So, for example, the peace treaties that were arranged, orchestrated by the by, by the Trump administration between Israel and the Arab states. First of all, there's no American who no American uh, you know government person who's against them. Biden is not against them. He supports them. Uh, he won't try to undermine them. I would say even more than more than that. <clears throat> if the United States undermine them, they couldn't do it because the uh, the Israel Arab alliance is based on first of all positive things that they can do together with each other, irrespective of the United States. At this point, it's, it's valuable for the for those states. It's valuable for Israel. We have a lot of things to offer in technology. They have a lot of money, uh, and, and uh, we're also interested in having good ties. So that's not going to get undone. I'd say even more than that. The more the Biden administration um, gives in, if he should give in with Iran, that will actually even strengthen more the ties with the Arab states. The Gulf states need Israel in the possible future conflict against Iran. Israel needs them. Uh, the more the United States uh, allows uh, the Iranian regime to go ahead with building a bomb threatening the Arab Gulf states, threatening Israel. The Israel and the Arab states are going to get even tighter. So that's the first thing. So Israel and the Arab states is going to stay. Now, Israel and Iran. Iran is a threat. Uh, it's, it's funny that I have to say it's a threat to Israel and um, the Arab states, uh, the Gulf states, the Sunni states. It's also a threat to the United States. And I think Trump understood that uh, Iranian aspirations uh, with their radical interpretations of Islam that uh, see them and Islam 
uh, dominating all of humanity at some future date. They think that this is inevitable. They think that this is, uh, this is their destiny. Uh, as part of the Shiite belief, it's going to happen through some massive war uh, with, with millions of people dying. So, you know, an apocalypse. So Iran has to be stopped. And if the United States doesn't understand, if this administration doesn't understand that they're not only a threat to Israel and the Gulf states are also a threat to the United States, then the United States is in trouble. You must understand and recognize who your enemies are and who your threats are. And Iran is a threat to all of humanity. That's the first thing. Once that's recognized, the United States must do everything in its power uh, to make Iran weaker in every which way possible and not allow them to move forward at all uh, with their nuclear program. So if Iran, if, if the United States is not going to see Iran as this threat, then of course, um, uh, there is going to be some danger for Israel, and that's probably going to be the greatest danger for Israel down the line um, if the United States pulls back. So there I would say in those two areas, Gulf states, it's going to remain the same or get stronger. With Iran, it could get worse. It's not clear yet. There have been significant statements in both directions, um, and let's see what will happen there. So, Itamar, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, and I mentioned this in the opening monologue, your organization monitors and translates everything coming out of the Palestinian-controlled territories, which, as far as I'm concerned, makes you uh, the most important uh, organization in the world as far as the Arab-Israeli conflict goes. Uh, on January 15th, and your website, you have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of quotes that come from the Palestinian leadership. But on January 15th, you had a headline, Israeli rabbis indoctrinated the Jewish kids to kill Palestinian children. This came from the PA. What I want to ask you is you have succeeded um, in both convincing European governments to stop funding uh, the PA because of uh, their indoctrination. And you also, uh, I remember in 2007, when Hillary Clinton was uh, a New York senator, you had a press conference uh, with her, um, which she called out the Palestinian uh, leadership on this. Can you tell us about the work you've done in that area? And then we'll have some follow-up questions on that as well. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned Hillary Clinton, because what's so critical about PMW's work is it's not, it's completely bipartisan. There's uh, no, no matter what you feel about the final status uh, solutions and what you want for the region, everybody recognizes that you can't teach hate with the children. And then we just have to lay it out. We just have to show it to them. At that press conference with Hillary Clinton in the Senate, she used the following words. She said, the Palestinians are profoundly poisoning the minds of their children. Now, that is a message that we are trying to get across to the entire world because it's very simply, it, when you are poisoned, you are a victim. Is not only Israel and Israelis who are victims of the Palestinian education, the Palestinian children themselves are victims of the Palestinians. They are profoundly poisoned by their own leaders. Uh, the international community very often, the, the antagonists to Israel say, oh, the Palestinian children have to need protection from Israel. I say, no, Palestinian children need protection, but from their own leaders, they need protection. It's their own leaders who literally don't allow them. They, they bring them up not to accept Israel as a good neighbor. So they're growing up with hate. They're growing up feeling victims from the time they're you know, old enough to understand the concept of being a victim. Israel stole your land. Israel stole Jaffa. Israel stole Haifa. Uh, your, your, your cousins are in refugee camps. You're in a refugee camp. You are victims. You must hate. Once you must hate, you have a right to kill because you're a victim. 
And not only should you kill, um, but you should even be a martyr. Uh, these are three messages that the Palestinian Authority gives their, gives their children. Hate, kill, and be a martyr. I have to give you one example because it's, it's in the details that you really become horrified at the Palestinian Authority. And I'll give you an example. There was a, um, an interview with a little girl. A little girl actually recited a poem on the Palestinian radio station. And then the Palestinian Authority, uh, Fatah, chose to put this front and center on their Facebook page. Now, what did this girl say in her poem? She tells a story about a Palestinian, a young Palestinian boy who is not finishing his food. His mother promises him a present if he finishes his food. So he decides, he rushes, finishes his food. And then the mother comes along and says, here's your present. He looks and he sees, what did his mother give him? She gave him a rifle. And the boy says to the mother, isn't that a rifle? Why are you giving me that? And she answers him. Again, this is a mother to her child. You were not meant for happiness. You were meant for martyrdom. Uh, our weapon is Islam, and you are the ammunition. You are meant for martyrdom. Now, the message is so horrific, and you'd think that everybody in the PA would hear this message telling a child that they're just ammunition. They have no value in and of themselves. They are only of value as ammunition for Islam. You know, they would you know, erase that from every place where it exists. But no, Fatah heard this on the radio and then they got a film of it from the radio station and then they put it with the video of the little girl on their Facebook page. So that all their 70,000, 80,000 young followers can hear, oh, I am just ammunition. And that's child abuse. It's coming from the mainstream of the Palestinian Authority. This is Mahmoud Abbas's party. This is the ruling party. So when you talk about you know, education, you talk about Palestinian children, Palestinian children are victims of their own leaders and the world must defend Palestinian children from their leaders. Exactly. Actually, I, Tamar, years ago, back in the 1980s, I hosted and produced the show for the ZOA. And I remember watching a documentary from the 1970s and one of the UN offices, in fact, about a camp for Palestinian youth. And in one of the scenes, uh, these kids were ripping live chickens as part of their training for desensitization. Itamar, in order to persuade someone or a group to do something that will hurt another, from a psychological perspective, desensitization is a proven method to reduce, compa- to reduce compassion for the enemy. My question is, how is desensitization and corruption of kids carried out in Palestinian training today? Well, one of the, uh, I'll tell you something interesting. It's desensitization, but there's also something fascinating. Um, there was a, a, an expert from Oxford University on ISIS who, who wrote an op-ed uh, every, a little while back in the Wall Street Journal. And she said, what was ISIS using? ISIS used music. She said, music and songs. They were teaching terrorism through music and song. Now, and she talked about how People, and especially young people, are influenced on music much more than by a sermon of a religious leader. Well, we have a section on our website, which we call From Music to Murder. And long before there was ISIS, there was the Palestinian Authority. And I think if anyone, it's not the Palestinian Authority learned it from ISIS. ISIS learned it from the Palestinian Authority. Palestinian Authority has been using songs to encourage kids to murder. Uh, actively since 2000, since they started their terror campaign, uh, which they call the Al-Aqsa Intifada, uh, they were using music. We had music videos then where there was one music video where a young boy is racing through paradise. 
And it's not just any boy, it's Mohammed al-Dura. And Mohammed al-Dura was the boy who was killed in the crossfire on the Gaza Strip, probably by Palestinians, but it's not the point. He was, Palestinians thought he was killed by Israeli. Every Palestinian child knew his name. They had a video that was shown hundreds of times. He's running through paradise. And what's he doing in person? It's a music video. And he's talking and he's singing how wonderful it is. He's running with a kite. He's running through a Ferris wheel. He's, he's running along a beach. He is having a blast in child's paradise. And he's, it actually opens with these words. I'm waving to you, not to say goodbye, but to say, follow me, signed Mohammed al-Dura. Mohammed al-Dura, child martyr, is calling on other Palestinian children to follow him in martyrdom. And he's showing them up on time. Now, if they have a miserable life in a refugee camp and they're being seen, they can run with a kite, they can go to a Ferris wheel, amusement park, what the heck? I want to be a martyr too, like Muhammad al This right. is the and actually, evil. actually, pregnant women. I've watched actually pregnant women say that they hope that the child they're carrying will martyr themselves. I've actually watched some uh, documentary as, as such as that as well. Yes, we we have that. Uh, the Palestinian Authority uh, produced a, again another music video. You can find that on our website, where they talk about the martyr in the womb. This was just a year ago, the yeah. martyr in the womb. Yeah. So every bit of evil that you could imagine is coming from the Palestinian Authority to its own people. Uh, you use the word propaganda. It's not propaganda. It's indoctrination. It's brainwashing. It's sophisticated. Now, I'll tell you, when I say sophisticated brainwashing, it's because it's not just coming in music videos. It's not just coming in sermons. Uh, it's coming everywhere. Uh, the naming of schools. You, we have documented over 30 schools named after terrorists. You've got Palestinian Authority named five schools after Dalal Mugrabi. Dalal Mugrabi, most people don't recognize the name, but you remember for sure her terror attack. She and other terrorists uh, hijacked an Israeli bus, murdered 12 children and 25 adults. A lot of family members were killed. There were two children and their mother who were murdered on this bus. It was led by Dalal Mugrabi. And you've got five schools named after a mass murder of children. What kind of message is that to kids? If you want to be a Palestinian hero, you have to kill Israelis. So it's a complete, uh, all-encompassing indoctrination and brainwashing where children are absolutely convinced that they have a right to hate, they have a right to kill, and that God, Allah, wants them to be a martyr. Itamar, let me ask you, what is the process for you? So you monitor what's coming out. Now, Now, the next step is to reach uh, European leaders. Um, what is the process? Do you call the ambassador from a, a foreign country and say, I'm Mittemar Marcus, I have information you want to see. And you know that in Europe, as it is, they're not that fond of Israel. The whole history is there. Um, how do you get in front of them? What is their initial reaction? Are they usually fine, come, we'll talk to you. And then their eyes are finally opened. What is the process that you go through from the time that you have the information that you want to present until uh, the presentation is over? Okay, so um, first of all, the, the first stage has been, is really putting together the information. We have a staff of uh, 10, possibly 11 now, uh, Arabic language experts, that we can really cover the entire Palestinian world. You talked about everything from the PA world. All, I mean, today, especially, there are so many personal Facebook pages and personal Twitter accounts of all the Palestinian Authority leaders of, of the Palestinian Authority security services, of the, of the president's guard. We have to follow all of this because the Palestinian Authority uses all of these means. And that's in addition to the regular newspaper, the regular television. Uh, so everything that's controlled by the PA or their leaders are following. 
We collect every day at the end of the day, we have a meeting where everybody tells what they found for that day. And then we decide which items are gonna go to very high level, double translations, double checking the translations. Um, and then we put together into reports, into bulletins. Uh, we send the bulletins just about every day on something new. Uh, your, your listeners should all subscribe. We'll tell them at the end how to do that, I think, um, to get that daily information. And then we put together large reports also. We put together, for example, I was talking about children. We recently um, put together a large report uh, for UNESCO on Palestinian children because they, they come out with their yearly reports uh, condemning, um, I'm not sorry, uh, UNICEF. They come out with their reports uh, condemning Israel for treatment of Palestinian children. We said, you're condemning the wrong people, condemn the Palestinian. So we do these intense reports as well. We do the reports on Palestinian school books, on names of schools. And then uh, years ago, to get started, we would always have some contact in your Europe connects with a parliament. Uh, at this point, I've been to parliament so many times. We have members of parliament who are in touch with regularly. Very often they turn to us for information. Uh, we have literally uh, MPs who we've been working with and government people in, in Norwegian, in the difficult parliaments, Norwegian, Swedish, uh, uh, British parliament, uh, you name it. Uh, we've had uh, events there. I had uh, a few months ago, I gave a lecture to European parliament on Zoom. I gave one to members of the Norwegian parliament. Um, I just, uh, last week, we just, uh, I said last month, gave a lecture to a new, organ, a, new um, a new group that's forming in Africa. Um, members of parliaments from over 15 different countries in Africa. Africa is a place we really want to work this year. Africa could really be good allies for Israel um, for the simple reason that Israel has done a tremendous amount to help Africa with all sorts of things connected to farming and agriculture and water. Israel has been a great help. The Africans still accept the help. They love Israel, but they vote against Israel internationally because they have a misconception of the Palestinians of being somehow like them uh, as being suffering from a colonial power. So they love Israel. We help them, but they still vote. So my goal is this year to get to many of these African countries um, and to literally meet with some of the leaders. I, have, um, uh, I had something really scheduled already for next week in an African country to meet president and foreign minister. It was canceled just now because it was postponed for two months because of the, because uh, of COVID. Uh, but uh, that's the goal is to get to these people, to put it in front of them and say, wait a second, you, there's no reason for you not to embrace Israel. Israel is the right side here. Look at who the enemy is. Palestinian Authority is enemies of their own people, not just of Israel, of their own people. Um, so that's our goal. So there's no problem. BMW uh, has such a good name around the world now. If I mention to any of the MPs or organizations we work with throughout Europe that I want to come, they can arrange it very quickly, uh, Zoom events or any other kind of event. Tamar, you, you had stated in a recent article that you think uh, funding the UNRWA is the worst investment ever. For our listening audience, that is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East. Please tell us why, why you feel that it's the worst investment ever and um, what the PA hopes the Biden administration will benefit them. Okay, so when... When you have um, a refugee and you have an agency dealing with refugees, the goal always is to get those refugees out of the refugee camps as soon as possible and have them absorbed either into their original country or the new place where they're staying now. You don't want people to suffer as refugees. Being a refugee is the worst status a person could possibly have. 
and all the other agencies, the UN Agency for Refugees has always done that. Now, look at the, in this recent report that I did, I, I just focused on the Obama and Trump years of, the, of UNRWA. During those years, the United States gave um, over $2 billion to, in aid to, to the United Nations, to UNRWA. Uh, well, you'd think, well, in those t 12 years, over $2 billion in aid, wow, they probably took a lot of people off of, I would have hoped that they would have taken a lot of people off of the refugee lists, you know, and, and resolve the problem. But you know what they got for their investment of $2 billion and $2.5 billion? What they got was another million, almost another million refugees during that period. So here you've wow. got millions of dollars going in to invest in solving a refugee problem. And those billions of dollars are just magnifying the refugee problem. And, and that's why I say it's the worst investment ever, because you know, you, usually a person makes a vast investment, an organization makes a vast investment. Well, they stop and they cut their losses. Uh, since Israel's been created at the time, there were, according to UN records and other records, somewhere between 600,000 and 700,000 refugees. Uh, initially, there are different figures, but that's certainly the top figure that there could be. Well, 700,000 refugees, even if it takes you a few years to, to resettle 100,000 now, 100,000, 200,000, and you, you solve the problem. Instead, today, it's five and a half million registered refugees, according to UNRWA. And, and, and it's been billions of dollars. Now, every year it happens. That is a terrible investment. It's the worst international investment in history. Tamar, the Palestinians know that you monitor everything that they do. And yet they keep doing it. So my question is, do they not care? Are they trying to be more discreet and hide from you? Or are they saying, you know what? Lady Tummer, monitor us all he wants because at the end of the day, no one's listening and we're still getting our aid and support from most of the world. Okay, so first of all, they're very aware um, that we're, we're monitoring them. They get furious every time we get a success. Uh, the number two person in the Palestinian Authority right now, his name is Jabril Rajoub. Um, we, we did a lot of reports on him and we put in complaints to FIFA against him. He, was the, he's, he is the head of the Palestinian Sports Authority. He's the head of FIFA for them. He's the head of their Olympic Committee. So we put in a complaint to FIFA against him and we got him suspended for a year. And he went on Palestinian television, ripped into Media Watch. This organization, Palestinian Media Watch, they're following everything I do. They're chasing me everywhere. And then he said about me, he said their leader or their director is the Goebbels of the 21st century. That's how he divides. So if he's using that kind of language, which he usually shares, usually uses only for Netanyahu, who's his other number one Goebbels. Uh, so he obviously he knows what we're doing and he suffered a lot. And the Palestinian Authority, I once had a journalist who met me uh, after he'd been in Ramallah and he said, you know, I was just in Ramallah and I spoke to them and I asked them about your work and they said, there's no one organization that has done as much damage to the Palestinian Authority as Palestinian Media Watch. And what he said to me then is they tried to, to uh, deny some of the things. Tell me, I'll tell you what they said. And of course, I showed them that everything was absolutely true that we report. Uh, and there's good reason that we caused them more damage than any other organization because we're exposing the real Palestinian Authority. The, the world was living in a fantasy about a moderate, victimized Palestinian Authority. And we showed them that there is not a moderate, there is an extremist, terror-promoting uh, Islamist almost in many respects uh, in, in much of their ideology organization called the Palestinian Authority that the West is funding. Now you asked about the funding. It's, it's not just Europeans. 
following our reports, um, well, first I'll start with Europe. We had, I gave a lecture to Dutch members of parliament in Holland. And two weeks later, the parliament voted 96 to 54 to cut off funding to the PA. And they did, they cut off all the funding. Uh, that same year, and this is two years ago, a delegation of Australian MPs came to my office in Israel. They went back two weeks later, government cut off uh, froze funding. And then a few months later, they canceled all the funding to the PA. United States, we exposed the issue of salaries to terrorists. Uh, we got that information for years to Congress. And eventually they passed the uh, Taylor Force Act, cut off all funding. And Canada also years ago, because of our work there, we showed them where their money was going. So four countries have cut off funding completely to the Palestinian Authority. And just about every other funding country has changed or cut off, or cut off some projects completely uh, because we have shown what's going on. So uh, even countries like Belgium and Denmark and uh, and, and Germany, uh, who, are, who are classically very, very supportive of the PA, they've all cut off money from projects. And most of them have, most of them don't even fund at all the Palestinian Authority general budget because they're afraid they're going to use it for horrific things. So they, they just try to fund projects. Itamar, can you briefly tell um, our listening audience, and, and also I would love to know, and I'm sure Alan would as well, how did your organization come to be? Well, um, we're talking 1996, I'd become aware of some of the uh, uh, real hate, hate speech of Yasser Arafat. This is three years after the signing of the Oslo Accords. So I uh, went to some people, raised some money, hired some translators, had them sitting around the dining room table, uh, reading the newspapers and watching Palestinian TV initially. And very quickly, we realized that the... The Israeli government, the Israeli leadership, we're talking again, three years after the Oslo Accords, had no idea what was going on. The Israeli press had no idea. The world had no idea. Everybody everybody thought Yasser Arafat had been sincere. And as soon as we watched what was going on, it was clear that everything was a farce. The education of children, the martyrs and hate and kill, it started already then. It started already then. Um, and the, the adults kept talking about it. They don't get every single stitch of land here, there, 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 there. They're going back to war against us. It was so clear, and we started getting that material out. Initially, there was a lot of uh, hesitation to accept our findings, even from Israeli journalists, because um, they just said, wait, what do you see? Well, we're in a peace process. You know, Don't worry about it. It's all, it's all okay. And we said, no, no, it's not possible. And then, of course... Uh, in, I just have to tell you one report that we that we released, which was so important and, and tragically prophetic. We released a report in the end of August uh, uh, 2000. And the opening sentence that I wrote to that report was, the atmosphere today in the Palestinian uh, world is the eve of the outbreak of war. And uh, it was clear. It was clear to us that they were starting, they were planning something, that Yasser Arafat was planning something. Ten days later, he started the, the terror war intifada. The government still missed the point. Ayyad Barak was prime minister. He didn't take it seriously. He didn't understand what had happened. And tragically, we lost over 1,200 people to suicide bombing because of the naivete of the Israeli leadership. When I say it was open and clear to us, this was what was being planned. And the Israeli leadership uh, under Ayyad Barak just totally missed the point. And it was a classic example of ideology um, overruling common sense. Uh, Barack 
was from Labour Party. Their ideology was that there's a peace process. The facts weren't going to get in the way of the ideology. And therefore, he continued with the blind ideology. There's a real peace process and ignored everything that we showed was going on by the PA, uh, the terrorism, the support for terrorism, the glorifying them. Ignored it. They ignored it. And tragically, uh, a lot of a lot, 1,200 Israelis paid for their lives with their lives. And by today, there's over 2,000 people who died as a result of the Oslo Accords. The peace process has already cost Israel over 2,000 dead, tens of thousands of, of critically injured. Yeah. Um, in, in Israel, there are groups like B'Tselem and other left wing groups. Do you ever try to reach out to them? Are they receptive to hearing from you? Or are they so wedded to their own ideology that not only do they not want to meet with you, they want you to go away? Yeah, they certainly want to go away. I wouldn't uh, waste the time on uh, selling these people are so deep in their hatred. uh, I would call it self-hatred of the the state of Israel um, that um, it's just not worth... um, uh, it's just not worth even trying to talk to them. Um, although I have I have spoken to some left wing, uh, presumably anti Israel groups around the world, um, who who I find is different. It's there. It's not ideological. It's really an an issue of misinformation and lack right. of information. Correct. And with those organizations uh, and young Jews around the world, who who somehow have been convinced that Israel is a terrible occupying power, etc. Cetera, et cetera, and I show them this material. They do turn around. Uh, I'll give you a fantastic example. This is not a Jewish organization, but it's a member of parliament. Um, uh, I, I spoke. How much time do we have left, guys? Uh, I don't want to get cut off. We have just one minute. So. Okay, Itamar, go. You got one minute. Okay. Canadian member of parliament um, heard me speak and then invited me to parliament. This goes back many years. He invited me to parliament. Uh, I went to Parliament. He was in the opposition conservative party at the time, and I met with the whole the leaders of this party. Uh, he then became the leading force supporting Israel um, in Canada, the driving force in the Harper government as well, uh, pushing for. Uh, and and then he was honored because of his fighting for Israel. And then he was in, given an honor at a Jewish event. And in his speech, accepting the award, said the following words: he "said." Um, I used to think Israel was the bully of the Middle East until I heard a one-hour presentation of Palestinian Media Watch. In other words, we turned him around from being anti-Israel MP to being the driving force supporting Israel. Uh, he's a fantastic example because he's an MP and it impacted on all of Canada's policies. Uh, but there are many people around the world, many journalists, who go through that same educational process. Thank you. Thank you so much, Itamar. You you must come back and uh, join us again. Uh, There's just so much to talk about, and you're so fascinating. On behalf of Alan and myself, thank you for honoring us today and sharing your valuable work with us. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in to The Definitive Wrap. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.